Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake podcast. My name is Pete Selby and I am in For Fox's Sake HQ1 and on the line in For Fox's Sake HQ2 in crystal clear sound, no dripping of roofs. It's Rob Hayes. You had to mention it already, didn't you? I have you may <laughs> you may tell it sounds a little bit different uh, in this particular podcast because I've had to record it in a different room because my usual recording room uh Currently has a very leaky roof, so I've been in and rescued the recording equipment out of it, and I'm now sat in the lounge instead. But nothing, nothing like that could dampen my spirits after the weekend that we had. No, exactly. It's it, it's very strange because what do we do? Do we just loll in glory? Uh, do we just wallow in? what is the best side of all time, the best performance ever, everyone's great, the whole thing's tickety-boo. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do we do? Do we, do we go through each goal and marvel? Do we go through each player and work out how much money they're worth? It's it's a very strange thing. We We didn't do a podcast after the Burnley game, but the Burnley game kind of takes care of itself because of this. We, it was a victory, and I think we got away with one with the VAR. That's my opinion. But we'll we'll move on to uh, Southampton for obvious reasons. Uh, where did you watch it? Where were you? Uh, I was not actually watching it. What? I was um, on. It's it's half term here in Sheffield, so I was on um, the Yay! It's Friday. We've survived the longest term of the holidays. Kind of drinks in an establishment that wasn't showing it, so I was I was kind of watching it a bit on um, a colleague's phone, um, just just sort of wherever I could get my hands on it without looking too unsociable, really. Uh, and I thought she, I thought my colleague was having me on, you know, and she kept giving me these score updates. And I kept having a glance at her, just mad, absolutely mad. I wish I wish I'd have been in Leicester watching it. That's that's probably one of the only things that I miss about being in Leicester. Not not that, obviously I've got to count my family in that as well, but, <laughs> you know, I would have... What a priority. If I, was wor- if I was working in Leicester, my colleagues would have wanted to go and watch the game, you know, but we were, we were in a Weatherspoons, and Weatherspoons do not show live sport, very many of them anyway, yeah. so... No, I didn't actually watch it, but I absorbed as much, as much of it as I could, and I have, believe me, I've watched it multiple times since. What about you? Uh, I, I got back from work and I got back from work in just just before the start of the game. Um, and I went straight down um, the local and, and watched it there with you know a, a few mates who are Leicester fans and, and plenty of others who, who aren't. But I, I don't know whether it was me um, and whether other people who, apart from those who were there, if, if you're at the game, it's different. Um, but for those who, who weren't at the game and who are watching it... I. Because it was so easy in terms of the game, there was no point that we we're ever gonna not win the game. It was all about how many. It it was it was so relaxing and, and I still get and we'll come on to this later on, 
um, especially when we hit the, the, the fantasy football section of the show. Um, I still have that kind of not not inferiority complex or, or or whatever about Leicester. I still have that kind of when we win a game, even when we won the league, I was still like we we're winning games of football in the Premier League. I still have that. I don't know why it'll probably never ever go. Um, I I'm delighted when we win a game. It, it seems doesn't seem odd, but it still seems like it's just a bit more important because of all the years we've not been in the Premier League. It, it's, I, don't, I don't know whether that sounds completely stupid or not, but again, we might beat uh, a team who are right down at the bottom of the league and struggling and we're going for Champions League or Europe, and yet still a victory. It, it, it's still a get in there. Yes, it's, it's, we've beaten the team in the top flight. And so when we go down and do something like that, it... it I just sat back and I didn't really know what to feel. It was just ever so, ever so weird and incredibly enjoyable. Um, we do have to mention, and I think we can start by mentioning them first, and that's Southampton and how poor they were, how dreadful they were, because they were. They were absolutely awful. I think it was more Leicester being fantastic than, than Southampton being poor, but but they really were bad. And the players were a nigh-on... Well, they were a disgrace in their effort. It's the lack of effort, organisation. The manager, um, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was either sacked or he walked out. <laughs> either. I think the, the surprising thing is that he's probably still there. Um, and, uh, and 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 there we go. I mean, he, he's, he's probably not going to walk out because he's uh, if you do get sacked, then you're going to get paid an awful lot of money. But what a, what an absolute mess. And that's probably what the last will comment on Southampton because obviously we're you know a Leicester podcast etc. But where do we start, Rob, with Leicester? Do we start with the goals, um, or just individuals? What do you reckon? How long have we got? It's it's normally we're talking about a one nil or a two nil or you know something quite tight where we can pick out the odd excellent performance or you know moments that change the game. Um, Southampton were poor, but we forced them into being poor. We demoralised them with our approach and the complete ruthlessness that we showed, regardless of what the scoreline was or what stage of the game it was. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that Brendan Rodgers has been talking about and talking about. Maybe we should start with the manager because I don't think many other managers with these kind of players at their at their disposal... In exactly the same scenario, there are very few managers, probably in world football, that could have inspired their team to commit to to winning a game, a game of football 9-0. In the Premier League, which is a very tough league, you know, anyone could beat anyone on their day. It's renowned across the world as, as one of the toughest leagues, not necessarily the, the highest of high quality leagues, but... Certainly, the the gap on match day between any two sides of the Premier League is fairly small. And you're talking fine margins usually to win a game of football in the top flight. So to go and absolutely pummel a team 9-0, all right, they're not great. Worst home record in the division, um, early red card. You can say what you like, but the, the facts are all that. Those things all existed. And Leicester City were just like, you know what? We can be a team that will put you to the sword. 
You know, this was the kind of game, if I was coaching that team in this scenario in, in kids' football, you'd have stopped it or you'd have gone to the opposition manager and said, look, can you just like put some of your rubbish kids on or or just tell your team to calm it down? If it was a boxing bout, it would have been stopped. But it's the Premier League football. It's the highest level of professional sport. So Leicester did exactly the right thing. And, you know, we've talked on this podcast this season about the next level for Leicester being to be able to dispatch teams like Burnley, teams like Southampton, uh, and two contrasting battles, really. But we saw off the challenge of Burnley, were patient, we we probed and we changed pace, we changed angle of attack, and I was quite impressed with us against Burnley, against a very resolute side. And then you go down to Southampton, and 9-0 didn't flatter us. 9-0 didn't flatter us. That's the line I took from that. You, you're completely right. It, it's You could go through the entire side, but I agree with the manager. It's the, it was the mentality for me. A, a, a footballer scoring a hat-trick, taking chances, what, 25 shots on goal, all the stats galore, um, and, and, and scoring nine goals. It didn't... The, the scoreline didn't flatter us at all. It, it was nine goals scored with plenty more attempts on goal, as much possession as you'd ever want on a on a filthy night as well, which if you're going to down tools, which the opposition do, did, and a team play extraordinarily well, which we did, if that's on a Saturday afternoon under blue sky with perfect conditions for a team, then, then yes, but I think the conditions... You do have to give a lot of credit for Leicester uh, to be able to play their game and also to be able to react to those conditions better again. That just shows the mentality. But it was just the ruthlessness. I, I had a great fun on the old Twitter machine um, during the game. Again, you sat back and you're you know you're on Twitter because it was it was so um, so easy and so relaxing that I could. I I put the uh, um, the Simpsons uh, meme of you know when they were kicking like you know stop it the dead and all that sort of thing and and then like all sorts of weird and wonderful things I was trying to find, but they kept on scoring quickly so you didn't have time to kind of react or whatever. It, it was fantastic, but very rarely you get a side when Man City put what eight or nine was it nine past Burton last season and then he scored eight I think against Watford. Uh, they're the sort of side that can do it just by pure skill and they're an amazing team, but also what Pep gives to Manchester City. And when they do it, people don't really kind of bat an eyelid because that's how good they are. And they're a top side. You'd imagine Liverpool would do it, but you can't really think that any other side would. And it that's, for me, the most impressive thing, the fact that they carried on. Every time they scored, they were quicker to the ball all over the park, ruthless, wanting to score, wanting to completely dominate, which they did, and they enjoyed it. And that's what top sportsmen do in any sports. They win and they are ruthless. And it's it might be degrading to the opposition, but it's not because they're just so far superior. And that's how they get there. Federer goes and wins Six love, six love, six love. That's just the way it is for him. Tiger wins by nine or ten shots in a major. It's because he's the best and he's ruthless. And he's annoyed that he's missed the fairway on the 18th, even though he's ten clear. It happens throughout sports. Usain Bolt goes and wins 100 metres whilst jogging at the end. You know, apparently, I mean, I listened to today a number of um, 
podcast, basically as many forward podcasts as possible, just to hear what people were talking about. If you're ever going to do that, you're going to do it when you win 9-0, aren't you? And um, a number of people brought up the criticism given to, uh, there was, I don't know whether people realised at the time, but there was criticism given to uh, the American women's football team when they won 12-0 in the World Cup against Thailand. And apparently there was one or two, but this thing happens where some one person posts on either a social media platform or whatever, and people think that that's a group of people or a, um, a a retrospective of what the general public are thinking. I think one or two people might go, hang on, why are Leicester celebrating the ninth or eighth? That doesn't is it is it in the same league as what happened in the summer? Not at all, because two teams in the same league fighting over league position and points and also goal difference. How much that will mean to a side like Leicester at the end of the season it doesn't equate that way although I've not seen any criticism at all whether anyone else has or not don't know but uh, we'll, we'll just pass over that in case anyone's heard it but it was just I was just so impressed if we went three and a lot because the first three goals were fairly quick Normally we would have gone right. Let's sit back. Let's not. Let's just take stock. Let's um, think about things. Let's not do anything rash. Let's you know keep it tight at the back. Don't let them back into the game. Nothing of the such. Go and get another. Go and get another. They're there for the taking. And then in the second half, so you're five nil up at half time. Weird. But in the second half, how are Leicester going to do this? Are they going to come out in the second half? Are they going to come and fly at them again? Are they going to? Just keep the ball and go, right, we're 5-0 up. Let's not get crazy. They've had a man sent off. Let's not risk a challenge, uh, risk any injuries, anything. No. Straight away, bang, bang, tackle, pass, score. You know, it was just bang, 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 all over the place. Soyuncu, a couple of times, not flying into players, but going in, I'm thinking, hang on. And then and Didi the same, and, and bang, we score again. And it, it was just... So impressive, absolutely fantastic, and it has to come from the top. It has to come right from the top, from uh, Brendan Rodgers instilling this into the side. There's no other way because it wouldn't have happened with any other manager. We've had fabulous results in our history. We've had fabulous games. Nothing will probably beat this in terms of scoreline, but I was just so impressed at the way that the team handled themselves which we've said on a number of occasions over the last few years, but this time was different because, it, it, for me, it was the first time I've seen Leicester, probably since the game, and this is completely off the top of my head, I always go back to the game against Manchester City at home when we were champions and we were 3-0 up inside the first 20 minutes and it was absolutely filthy weather that day at the King Power. That was... A complete domination of one of the top sides in the Premier League. This was a complete domination over 90 minutes of a side that's been in the Premier League for a number of years that are, yes, in a difficult position, but they're no Derby of 2009 or wherever they were. They're no Sunderland who have been down there and are just really, really poor. They've had some half-decent results, but to go and do what we did was just off the scale. Now, before we go into the players, Rob, uh, I know I've just gone on for a little bit, but that's uh, my kind of little thing out of the way. Um, I think the, the one thing we ought to hand over now is to what else, what other people thought. What what did um, our listeners think? And, and I put out uh, 
the, the three words, uh, give us your three word review. Um, we haven't really done this year, mainly because sometimes you get a, 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 a huge response, sometimes you don't, uh, and then by the time we do the podcast, sometimes it can get lost in what's happened afterwards, or maybe there's another game, etc. So um, we've we've kind of let it uh, slip by the wayside so far this year, but we've got back on with this one because if you're ever going to do it again, you win nine nil. So stand by, here we go. There are quite a few. Okay, so first of all, my dad, uh, fabulous football foxes, uh, Dave Lusby, rugby world cup score, uh, Michael Stoney, out of this world. That's four. We'll forget about that. <laughs> Vince uh, McDonald, uh, What the Fox, exactly. Vaughan Co, uh, still gold drunk, definitely. Uh, Sean uh, Scotchbrook, no fooks given, exactly. Uh, Jim Chapman, more to come, hopefully, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Daniel McCready, uh, red card irrelevant, I think so. I think, obviously, it did help, but tough. It's the way things are, isn't it? Unbelievable by Roger Matic, uh, Ollie Day, Champions 1920, well, we'll see. Um, Oscar says uh, Kaleshi didn't score. I was thinking, would, would he come on? Although, to be honest, I didn't know what the bench was because when you're in kind of a pub scenario and also I turned up just before the game started, I didn't quite know what was on the bench. Although, to be honest, it didn't really matter as soon as we went 3-0 up. Um, Foo King, great. That's nice. Uh, Luke Harrison, uh, Mark Shorts, uh, Pissball Stains, they really were. I've got more. <laughs> I've got more on uh, on Twitter now, where a lot came uh, in. There was a lot of response to the memes as they came through. Uh, very, very entertaining. 1920 uh, Champions by Archie. Um, someone mentioned in the fantasy football, we'll come to that later. James Curran, record-breaking Foxes. Record-breaking league away win in the top flight of English football of all time. Not just Premier League, an all-time away win. Blowing every single record, by the way, for Leicester. Everything's blown out of the water there. <laughs> Scrap all records. They've all been rewritten. WTF, we can uh, we know what that means. And I suppose three kind of words. Um, draw, on, uh, draw on the Floor by Martin Sumners. We've got... Uh, uh, Some sorry, we've got message received boys by uh, Indy Foxes. Daniel Hockett, wingers stepped up, and we'll talk about the players in a second. Uh, that's for V Shy by Ant Dickens. It definitely was another WTF here as well. Um, immortality for mediocrity by Ed Leach. We've got uh, uh, Ben Hobson. Uh, why not ten? <laughs> why not indeed? Uh, three times three by um, Helen. And as we go through for the boss, Simon Marlowe, we've got plenty more as well. Uh, Just the Nine by Ben Payne, along those wavelengths, uh, Nigel Beecroft asked a question, how realistic is fourth place finish for the Foxes? He asked that today. So there we go. Thanks for getting involved. Uh, at FFSPod is our Twitter handle, and obviously on Facebook as well. You can find us to type in for Fox 8 Podcast. And that's my little segment out of the way, Rob. <sighs> thanks for sharing and thanks to everybody for getting in touch. I know, um, like you say, sometimes you ask for a response on social media and you don't always necessarily get one. But I think partly because it was on the Friday night as well. So we, we didn't really have any other games to get lost in. It was just Leicester and everything everywhere was Leicester on Friday night. So I think it was nice for everybody to get on 
the different social media platforms and share their thoughts. So thank you to everybody for sharing theirs with us. Shall we... Where do we start? Do you want to go through the goals or do you want to go through the players? Because most of the goals are covered, cover most of the players and most of the players cover most of the goals. Yeah, we'll go. I think we'll go through the players and, well... We'll start start with a forward, Rob. Start start with Jamie Vardy. You 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 lead the way on Vardy. Well, I I wondered when he was going to get in on the act. To be perfectly honest, he had to wait a little while, didn't he? But if the if there's goals going in, and Leicester are playing well, then you know Jamie Vardy's going to score because people are always going to create some opportunities for him, or he's going to create some opportunities for himself. Um, some more very well taken goals from him won the penalty in a very very flashbacky moment or Brighton getting the ball on the left hand side outside of the right boot spun it in behind for Vardy running onto it causing problems with the pace literally last last couple of seconds to go and win a penalty like that and then convert it for your hat trick is is proper proper Vardy isn't it and he's now top scorer in the Premier League uh, which is testament to the longevity that he's showing because there, there have been conversations that we've had uh, and I'm sure we're not alone in that amongst Leicester City supporters and and probably the wider world of football really is how much longer can Jamie Vardy exist at this level given that he came to this level so late and he's now of an age where you would expect certainly a striker to start tailing off yet he's maintained very real potency in the Premier League for several seasons now and to top the goal scoring charts after 10 games is is testament to that and you know you'd expect if you saw the scoreline Leicester 9 Southampton nil that Vardy would have at least bagged a couple and there he was with three and he just did everything that Jamie Vardy does and when he's playing well we play well and when we're playing well he plays well so those two things combined to, to give us what is now the Premier League's top goal scorer. Yeah, it was a, a easy header he scored for the second. But say if you go back a game, a great header against Burnley, a very sharp finish for his first goal, a lovely touch to take it away from the defender and, and then score. And then the penalty he took very well. Just it's Jamie Vardy, isn't it? Great for Perez to score. Uh, Perez, not Perez, Perez. <laughs> um, Perez, uh, he's... Flattered to deceive, he really has since he's joined, but he's joining a new football club. He's, I think he's slightly out of position, but that's the position he's playing. And he's taking his goals very well. A lovely one-two with Tillemans, a lovely layoff. And and, and Tillemans was such a, uh, we'll talk about him in a second actually, but it was a great one-two. And a, and, and a finish past the keeper, I think he'll be disappointed, but struck it well. Second goal, took it lovely. Uh, watched the ball carefully on the half volley. Uh, the official commentary by Radio Leicester, uh, by, by no, by Leicester City. So the uh, the Leicester City uh, live commentary had Tony Cotty as their kind of pundit, um, and he was really good because he didn't let just the commentator do his stuff. He he actually like shouted during the goals, and every goal was oh in the background. It was real. I really like that. And he was talking about that com- the uh, the finish by Perez for his second, saying it's really, really awkward um, to do that on the half volley, what the hardest thing in football. And I think that goal kind of just gets overlooked in its quality. 
Uh, lovely ball by Chilwell, who we'll come on to, but uh, a really good finish. Uh, and then a, a lovely chest and volley for the third. A, a great delivery by Barnes, who we'll talk about. But uh, for him, his confidence must be sky high. And the last thing I heard, I heard Ian Carter was working for BBC Radio Leicester uh, on their uh, Monday night show just before we were recording this. Uh, the golf correspondent for the BBC is a huge Leicester fan. And uh, well worth following on uh, Twitter as well. And uh, and he mentioned, uh, they were talking about the, the game against Burton. So when you listen to this, depending on when you do, whether it's a, um, on the Monday night, say late or, or Tuesday morning or evening before the game, whatever the team is. But they were talking about who's going to play up front. And he says, well, he's got, he's got to be him. He's scored a hat-trick now. And what a great time and maybe a team to play against and score more and, and keep your confidence going. And I... I quite agree I think that was a was a very good point but for him it could only benefit him scoring the three goals but I think if you look back at those three goals individually uh, at least two of them fantastic fantastic finishes uh, fantastic control and then the second uh, the first of those was a lovely one too a move started uh, by him but but a really good yes okay the team played amazingly well but he was at the forefront of that, especially in the first half. Yeah, and I'm really pleased for him because he plays some nice football. As you say, he is probably slightly out of position. But with the fact that we were able to play such an expansive game on Friday night, it meant that he was playing in a very central position a lot of the time because Ricardo's got such an engine down the right-hand side. Ricardo was almost playing as the winger and Perez was inside and that allowed him to play the one-twos that, that get him the opportunity in the penalty area. I think all three are ex- exceptional finishes. I think the first one with the one-two, because he's taken it so early, he's sorted his feet and his balance out instantly and he's taken it so early. I think that's what catches Angus Gunn out. Obviously, the goalkeeper will be disappointed that it was so close to him and he couldn't save it, but credit to Perez for taking it so early. The half volley, I mean, we absolutely raved about Harvey Barnes' half volley earlier on in the season. And although Perez is is a bit closer to the, the goal and it doesn't look as spectacular, it's still an equally difficult skill. Um, and it just shows that he has got that clinical touch in the penalty area. And now he won't have this... I wouldn't say it was looming over him, but he won't. The the potential doubters won't be able to say, "Oh yeah, Perez still hasn't scored for Leicester," because now he has, and emphatically scored three very good goals. I, I completely agree with with that thought, Pete. Is to start him up front on um, on Tuesday night against Burton. Um, not sure whether Kalechi and Acho will be available because I heard something that he that he had some kind of um, personal. Uh, um, a, a loss in the family or, or close by recently, so I'm not sure if he'll even be in and around the squad. But at, at this moment in time, regardless of whether Ian Acho is available for selection or not, he's not part regularly part of the 18 that that gets named on that team sheet. So what would really be the point in playing him up front? when you've got Perez off the back of a hat-trick and say, look, go and lead the line. He played in the last round of the Carabao Cup up front and he, he didn't really get into the game as much, but now he's he'll have an extra little half a yard of pace. He'll, he'll have a lot more confidence. I would absolutely let him lead the line uh, on Tuesday night and, and see if he can't pick up a couple more. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It was a, a great performance and hopefully he plays and scores more and, and just this is the kickstart of his career. Alongside him behind Vardy, if you would have it, uh, Madison, in all the madness of the first half, yes, he was involved in moves, but he, he scored a brilliant free kick when it was his chance and he just carried on the moves. Nice little one-twos, good control on the edge of the area, a few through balls, but... Again, he was kind of overshadowed by a lot of the other players, but it doesn't really matter. He, he played, for me, the most important thing was that he, he played and he looked fit and he stayed on the field. It would have been very easy for him to come off after an hour and go, look, the, the ankle's fine, but let's just not you know, risk it because we are 6, 7, 8, whatever the score was at the time. But he carried on. So that kind of really probably quashes any questions regarding his fitness. Lovely free kick, we know that he can do that. Um, but the next player, and really interesting player, and there was a few very interesting comments I heard from other people as well, was Harvey Barnes. Now, I thought Barnes, even though he didn't score, he had that one where it dribbled past the keeper and it, it was nearly squirmed over the line and, and the goalkeeper stopped it on the line. But I think in the first half, Possibly the best player was Harvey Barnes. Him and Chilwell absolutely destroyed whoever was on the right side at Southampton. I think at one point there were four different... Four, they were just changing all the time. And they were trying to double up, treble up at, at times. But they just couldn't live with Barnes. And he was exceptional. Although he was fantastic. Um a number of the goals came from that area. Maybe his delivery wasn't as pinpoint accurate to the play it was intended to, but ended up setting up the goal in one way, shape or form. But I thought he was fantastic. And there was a few comments from a few people, because it's nice to hear fans of other clubs and what they think about Leicester players, because they maybe see them more on TV than they would do of possibly other teams, because it's a local side, they take more notice. But uh, they, they were talking about Barnes, and they were saying that how how direct he is and and how much one or two people, they both kind of agreed and I thought, I never really thought about it. And they turned around and said, you could see him really kicking on and they said, one of them turned around and goes, reminds me of, and this is not trying to compare him to him in terms of what he's done in his career since, but reminds him of like a young Gareth Bale in that he's very direct and it's not really worked out for him as yet in his end product. We know he's hit one on the half volley against Sheffield United, but his his final ball, his final shot, his his scoring record's not incredible, and it, it's. But they said that the similarity between the two at their kind of age is is quite similar, similar kind of size of player as well. And then all of a sudden, it just clicked for Bale. If you remember back in his Spurs days, and then from then on, it just kicked on and went on to be one of the best players in the world. Hopefully, that happens with Barnes. Maybe it won't, but you can see that and. Hopefully it does. Somewhere like we mentioned with Perez, the fact that he's scored his hat-trick and he can kick on as a Leicester player. We know that he's got all the talent, but he's a completely different age and player to somewhere like Barnes. But Barnes, you just wonder. that I still think there is so, so much more to come from this guy. Once he gets settled in terms of taking it, look how composed he was in the championship. When scoring, yes, a completely different level when you're looking at maybe qualifying for the Champions League. But... Look at how composed he was in his finishes. Once he gets that into his game, or once he starts taking chances, 
quicker than he's than he is. There's no point in thinking about things. Just hit it in some cases. Look what Vardy's done in his career, and look what happened with his volley against Sheffield United. You just look at him and go, "There's so much more to come." But his link up with Chilwell was was extraordinary on that side. Yeah, it was Harvey Barnes' best game in a Leicester shirt for me. Um, and people listening might think, well, you're going to say that about everybody because they won 9-0. It's the best scoreline ever and the best performance ever. I wouldn't say that probably about any other individual, really. Um, but for this particular player, Harvey Barnes was head and shoulders above the level that he's managed to reach for Leicester so far. And I think that's, that's uh, for a number of reasons, really. Obviously... His link-up play with Chilwell was the best I've ever seen it, and we've talked about it. Sometimes it looks like they don't like each other, um, and I noticed that sort of last season as well as this. Um, for whatever reason, sometimes it just doesn't look like they get on and they don't gel so much, but that was in tune on Friday. But the other thing was Harvey Barnes used the ball well in dangerous situations. His ball for Perez... Um, the, the one that Perez chested down and finished, was the, the vision and the weight of pass and the technique to execute that was excellent. And that's that's the kind of finesse that we've not seen from Harvey Barnes as much as we'd like to in a Leicester shirt. But you have to remember, the Bale comparisons age-wise are, are fine because it just sort of clicked together one day for Gareth Bale. He got pushed forward from left back to left wing one day, became a bit more free, it was like, yeah, I've got bags of pace. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to be direct. Um, and then the quality came a few, maybe half a season or a season after that. Uh, and Harvey Barnes will benefit from every single minute of football he has in the Premier League. Um, and I think we're starting to see the rewards of that. By far and away, his best performance in a Leicester shirt. And let's just hope that he's still got lots, lots more room to grow into an even better footballer. Yeah, completely. It was a, a wonderful ball for the uh, would have been the hat trick goal for uh, for Perez. But um, and I agree, we've not really seen that that flair. You would imagine that from from Tillemans, who who will now talk about Tillemans alongside Indeedy. Indeedy, Chowdhury is very um, hard not to see on the touchline, whether the cameras looking at some of the substitutes warming up or he's just walking past interviews taking place with his hair, etc. But he's done absolutely nothing wrong, Hamza Chowdhury, and he just can't get a look in at the moment because indeed he is playing out of his skin. And it was early on in Rodgers' managerial stint at Leicester where he mentioned Ndidi very quickly and Ndidi's performances really started to increase. His tackling percentage rate must be right up there in the Premier League, if not the best. He is so clean in his tackles and it was noticeable after the sending off how he was almost wanting to go into a tackle and then standing off, waiting for maybe the ball to be miscontrolled and then pinching it off a player because of the sending off. You don't want to be diving in, etc. But he was quietly very, very good for Leicester. Alongside Tillemans, who it was just perfect for him. He played the whole game, I think, at about 75%, and he was just saying, go on, you you have a go now. He scored his goal, scored the second goal. Once the game's been won 3-0, it was right. I'll lay the, what a lovely layoff for um, the first goal for Jose Perez. A lovely what first-time vision, 
by the time all the Southampton players have realised that he's even passed the ball, the ball's in the back of the nets. And he played at three-quarters pace. He was laying the ball off, starting moves, finding players. He must have just played that game with a huge smile on his face going, this is great. I know I'm a good player. I can just let everyone else almost enjoy it. It, it was almost like he, he said, go on, you lot do it. I'm just going to just sit back, start the moves, get involved when, when on occasion, but uh, you lot do your stuff. It was very, very good, a, a really good performance. Again, when you win 9-0, everyone played well, but sometimes players do stand out and sometimes you can criticise others and they should have done this, done that, but uh, it was just a perfect performance by Tillemans for me, he he just he ran the game in a very quiet manner. Him and Ndidi. Yeah, it's exactly his kind of game, isn't it? He could just get involved whenever he wanted to, uh, pick it up at deep in, in in a deep area. The layoff of Perez was from just inside the penalty area. The finish inside the box was so composed. A lot of players would have snatched it that first time, blazed it over the bar. He just took a touch, waited for everybody to commit, and then just side footed it almost and tooked it away. Um. He's he's a quality player, and and when when Leicester are on top and and in control, he's it, it it's where he is best, and he dictates pretty much everything. Uh, what I was pleased to see about um, with Ndidi, obviously, he had fewer defensive responsibilities on Friday night because of the limited uh, number of attacks that Southampton were able to generate. But he was five or ten yards further forward. Uh, maybe even 15, 20 yards further forward at some points. He was picking up loose balls, but driving forward with them. Um, there was one goal in particular where he managed to hit the ball out to Chilwell, square it sort of midway inside the Southampton half at pace. And the Southampton player was about an inch away from sliding into intercept, and that could have been a, a counter-attack. But the fact that he was confident enough, and obviously we were in a, a, a position of relative comfort, but confident enough to start pinging that ball around it's an area of his game that we don't really see as much of but he was really on the front foot on Friday night because that mirrored the team obviously but it was nice to see him getting involved at the other end as well um as the defensive attributes that we talked about but they were they were largely untroubled but they both did their roles and a little bit more um very very well yeah, if you go to the back line, I wonder if part of that is because the way that Soyuncu steps out of defence to, as when he came into the side, people said, oh, he can be a bit rash, but I think it's a real strong point of his game, the way he can nip in front of players and get there first and be the first line of defence, and Evans can then drop off and kind of control things that way. Um, I wonder if the fact that indeed he's got more either trust or they've worked this out, that he can actually do that, knowing that if the ball goes beyond Ndidi, they've got a Kaglasiunchu coming towards them at pace and that brick wall is not going anywhere. And yes, it might work out sometimes that he, he does something slightly rash or he, he doesn't quite time it right. But for me, that's a part of the game you don't really want to take away from him because we've already benefited it from uh, actually scoring goals from Soyuncu, uh intercepting or, or taking the ball off someone very, very quickly. 
using those tactics. Um, he <laughs> he did make me laugh in the second half when there was a, a little bit of a tussle and the ball was kind of on the ground. Someone kind of sat on it and it turned into a bit of a bit of a scrap. And he you could see him going, this is great. I've not had this for 75 minutes and this is my chance. And, and everyone's like, oh God, don't do it. No, don't kick the man by accident or whatever. After what happened this weekend with VAR, what a complete mess that's turned into, by the way. Um, you know, you don't want to do anything rash, but you could see he really liked that. And uh, and him and Evans, yeah, great. Didn't really have a lot to do. Evans, probably his easiest game. Why? How he didn't score that goal? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, dear. But um, Ricardo on one side, it, because all the play really came down the Leicester left, especially in the first half, and then the second half, it, it was just so easy for Leicester to get to the edge of the penalty area. Um, it wasn't really, you know, Ricardo did his stuff, but... Um, it wasn't one of the, the standout performances, even though he had a he had a good game. But Chilwell really is the player to talk about. Um, there was one thing for me with Chilwell. We all know he's got pace and he can. Um, he's got a great engine as well. He can get beyond a man. His final ball is poor, and I still think for those deliveries, even though he had a number of assists and he was exceptional, he was benefiting from Harvey Barnes playing exceptionally well on his side, but quickly identifying the fact that he can just get forward as quickly as possible. Don't worry about what's happening behind you. We can cover. But there was a slight, for me, change in his delivery. For me, in both halves, he was attacking the area between the keeper and the defence stroke centre-forward, Jamie Vardy. If you look at the goal that Iosie Perez scored, the great half-volley at the back post... That kind of delivery, we've seen Chilwell deliver, but more to the penalty spot area, which more or less, if he doesn't catch it right, can be cleared by the first man or easily cleared by the defence. But there was three or four deliveries inside the first 20 minutes that either went across the face of goal, were whipped in to the edge of the six-yard box, looped to the far post, but again, they were all deeper. They are all nearer the goalkeeper for me. And in the second half, I noticed that first half. In the second half, I was watching, and the same thing happened. And it was, again, you, you, you think about things clicking. This is an England player who's played many times. I, I just wonder whether this is a something he's been working on, but finally he had the confidence because he, he looked short of confidence going forward pretty much the entirety in the Leicester shirt. But this season, he's, he's played okay, but he has been disappointing going forward more times than I would say uh, since he's been playing for Leicester but it seemed to have clicked uh, on Friday and he seemed to be attacking an area not picking out a player he didn't pick Perez out for that goal no way but he was attacking certain areas and for me it was nearer the keeper trying to as the the corridor of uncertainty as, as uh, Jeff Boycott used to say that gap between the keeper and the last defender or the centre-forward. He was attacking that area more and uh, paid dividends. Yeah, it's the best I've seen him in the final third in a Leicester shirt as well. And and we, I said that about Harvey Barnes, it being his best performance in a Leicester shirt, and that may have something to do with it, the fact that the two of them together just started to click. But usually, when Chilwell gets the ball in a dangerous position... I'm not entirely hopeful that anything's going to come of it because however many times has he cleared it over the other side of the pitch for a throw-in or scuffed it into the shins of the closest opposition player to him, you know, it rarely makes its way 
into the box in a dangerous way. You know, sometimes you're thinking, oh, I'll belt that across the six-yard box hard and low, and he'll try and dink it. Or sometimes you're thinking, stick that high up to the back post, and he'll try a flat one when there's too many bodies in the way. You know, his decision-making and execution have been left wanting a little bit, really. Uh, and I really hope that this is the start of of something that we'll see more regularly from him. I hope it's not a one-off because Ben Chilwell with a bit more finesse in that left boot is going to cause teams an awful lot of problems because of the other natural attributes that he has. He's always willing to get beyond. He's got the pace. He can be direct when he wants to be. If he can add a bit of quality to that left boot, he's going to be a phenomenal player, a phenomenal threat for Leicester. And I think he's already just about nosing ahead as England's number one left back. But you add a bit of quality delivery to his all-round game and, and there's nobody that could compare with him in, in English football at the minute as in terms of an English left back. So I really hope that Friday wasn't a one-off. I mean, as a performance and a, and a scoreline as, and as a team... Nine nil is is a is a unique game. I mean, it's it's very very rarely going to be recreated in the next hundreds of years. I mean, look at the the record that it smashed since records began since football began in its in this form in hundred and thirty odd years ago. But hundred thirty one, hundred and thirty one years ago. Um, but I just hope that it's not a one off from Chilwell, and I hope that he can start to show that level of ability more regularly. It's a bit like with Barnes. You just want them to make a decision when they get into that position. If you're going to put your foot through it, put your foot through it. Not a problem. People aren't going to criticise a player for having a shot at goal unless for the next five they all go into row Z. If you're going to float one into a certain area, which he's done, then do that. But make sure, A, the execution's right. And it's actually, there's players who can attack that ball on the field. And you're not on your own or you're going to drill it hard across goal then do that. I think with Chilwell, he's just been caught between about three different minds when he's got there and gone, oh, I don't really know what to do. And then just kind of properly fluffed it, square it, and there's no one there. Or only chipped it to the chest of the front defender or the first defender. That that sort of thing drives the crowd mad, really. It's the, when you get in a position, do something. If, if you smash a shot and it goes wide, at least you've you've made that decision, you've done it, and next time maybe not, or, or whatever. But don't lose heart. And again, with Barnes, sometimes you think to yourself, you know, go for goal. You, you may be looking for other players, or if you're going to pass it, pass it, but make it decisive. That's what you really want. And, and for the first time, I think he really did click with that, and he decided, look, I'm just going to put this into that area. And he did every time, and it was really good. That that ball to the far post, that looked like that could have been Mark Albrighton. Yes, he would have used his his right foot, but that that kind of whip into the far post. Albrighton for me is that player that when he crosses the ball, if he doesn't pick out a player, he will he would have an idea. The ball's running towards him, and his head's down. He's looking at the ball, and he's right, right. I'm going to get this high and deep to the far post. It's going to whip around, and if the keeper comes out, or it's going to go too far for him, anyone's on the back stick's got this. Or, I'm going to have this pace and flats, and anyone at the near post, or slightly towards the centre of the penalty area, this is going to be on your head. But he makes a decision and goes for it, and more than not, executes what he wants. Now, does it go to the player? Or does he go to that, uh, was there a player in that area? Maybe not. But at least he, he went with an idea. Sometimes with Chilwell, or most of the time, he, he doesn't have 
that kind of clear idea of what he wants to do when he's actually striking the football. And also, I think he's miles clear of Danny Rose, who's been dreadful for Spurs this year. But uh, there we go, and for England. But uh, yeah, so all in all, an amazing win. 131 years of English football, top flight, away win, completely smashed. Our personal, in terms of the football club, highest ever wins, etc., all blown out the water. An amazing night, absolutely fantastic. Uh, we are now at the time of recording, uh, which will be until we play uh, towards the weekend. Uh, we are in third and we are on level points with Chelsea. We've got a plus 17 goal difference with two points behind Man City. It's after 10 games, so it's a real it's a real kind of marker in the season to look at. You know, your first 10 games, where are you? Well, you're sitting third and you are, yes, eight points off Liverpool who are flying away with things, but two points off Man City. You've got a plus 17 goal difference, which is ridiculous. Um, you're level with the Chelsea side, who are also playing really well. Very impressed with them against Burnley. Um but already you're looking back and you're going, right, Palace, no. They're not going to sustain any challenge. Man United are going to drop points here and there. Uh, Sheffield United playing ever so well, up into 8th place, 13 points. Fantastic. Bournemouth, West Ham, they're not going to be trouble. <coughs> Excuse me. Tottenham in 11th place, 12 points. Okay. So Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham. They're the teams that you're looking at are going to finish possibly... Uh, third, fourth, and fifth. We can finish sixth at the moment. That's looking like a real, real possibility. A top six finish. But we don't want that. We're going to look for top four. Okay. After this win, in my eyes, the shift has now changed. I've been talking about Leicester finishing in the top six. Pre-season, we both mentioned qualify for Europe. A top six finish is what we... It's it, to say what, what we're aiming for, but that's what the club wants. And that's what, to be honest, we kind of expected a real challenge and to get that this year. That now, for me, has changed. Can it change on the back of one win? Yes, it can. And if this mentality is carried on, and from what they've shown on Friday, there's no reason why, with what's happening elsewhere in the Premier League, which we've just gone through, there's no reason why Leicester can't, in my eyes, finish in the top four. For that to happen, then two of those clubs that we mentioned have to finish outside of the top four. Now, Arsenal being four points behind Leicester and Tottenham being eight points behind Leicester are the obvious candidates. The way things are going at both clubs, Arsenal's a complete mess. Look what happened to Granit Xhaka telling the crowd to do one, walking down the tunnel, throwing away a two-goal lead against Crystal Palace. Things are not right at Arsenal. Tottenham, I think, will go on a run. I think they will pick up a lot of points, but they're eight points behind. Is it crazy looking at points now after 10 games? People might be listening to this going, come on, Pete, play the game. With 10, points, uh, 10 games into the season, why are you looking at points? Well, you have to. If we're in a match game now against Arsenal and Spurs, if that's what we're saying, Rob, that Arsenal and Spurs are the two teams that we're looking at in this top four race... Okay, Chelsea are already in the top four, so for the moment, we'll let them go by. Then we need to be, every week, looking at who Arsenal got. Did they win? What is that compared to Leicester? Did Spurs win? What are they doing compared to Leicester? Okay, in two weeks' time, we play Arsenal at home. What a big game. That four-point advantage could turn into seven. So by then, you're really looking for that top four. Am I 
getting ahead of myself. I don't think you are because, you know, when you're talking about points gaps and goal difference, why should they matter more in the last few games of the season than they do now? If you concentrate on them now and you say, right, there's X amount of points between us and this other team, let's maintain that or extend that. And if you say we could do with boosting our goal difference and beating Southampton 9-0 rather than a comfortable, boring 3-0, then come the end of the season, you're putting yourself in a better position rather than relying on on certain results against certain teams. If you treat them as big games now, and, and I would completely agree with you, Arsenal in a few weeks' time is, is a big game because it, it allows you to put more distance between yourself and, and what you would consider a a direct rival for a position in the Premier League. And earlier, at the start of the season, in the, in the summer, we talked about the, the phrase I used for various previews for various different outlets was that I want us to be knocking as loudly as possible on the door of the top six. But I think we're over a, qu- a quarter of the way through the season now. The Premier League table now is not exactly as it's going to be at the end of the season. Obviously, there's still a lot of football to be played. But it's a good indication now as to the kind of seasons that most clubs are going to have. Yes, there'll be clubs that go on runs. Um, you know, Spurs, teams like Spurs have got enough quality in there to string together five or six wins and climb the table rapidly. Of course they have. We will hit a patch at some point this season where we fail to win for two, three, four games in a row. And it'll be about the response to that. But... As things stand at the moment, we're just over a quarter of the way through the season. This is a good indication, certainly of early season form and and where team, most teams are likely to finish. Um, so our expectation levels as to the outcome of this season have to rise and the players have to be able to deal with that. We're now to... I, I would now say if I want to use the same sort of phrasing, that Leicester should be knocking as loudly as they possibly can on the top four this season. And then, so so then you're talking about not just knocking on a door that could get you into Europa League football and then see you struggle like Burnley and struggle like Wolves have started to struggle this, at the beginning of this season. It's a difference between that and knocking on the door for automatic qualification to the Champions League, which we've only achieved once before in our history. And it's it's very feasible. These expectations haven't gone up simply because of beating Southampton 9-0. It makes a big statement. It shows that we've got the quality and the ruthlessness to, to be able to compete at the very highest level. But if you take a step back and look at the fact that a quarter of the season has now gone... it's not unrealistic we're in third place the goal difference is significantly been has significantly been boosted from beating Southampton but knocking on the door as loudly as we can on the top four is my current aim for the season now that's changed since the start of the season and let's have another look at it say halfway through the season after 19 games and if we're still in the top four then I would say that our season expectation goes up again to be we can finish in the top four. And there's, there's no limit to how quickly this Leicester team can progress. They've come on much further, much more quickly than I think most of us dared to dream or hope that they could. And things are going, everything's going in the right direction. Let's knock as loudly as we possibly can and 
win those big games against those teams like Arsenal to prove that we are where we are on merit and we can and will stay there. Now, our next games are against Burton in the Cup at the Pirelli and then away at Sellers Park against Crystal Palace on Sunday. Now, again, at the time of recording, we're a day before the game against Burton, so many people might listen to this after the game against Burton. So the preview of that's not really going to be in-depth. Who knows what side we're going to pick. Hopefully we go and win. It's a competition we pinpointed early on in the season. You go away to Newcastle and you win very easy against Luton. But there's not a lot we really we can say about that game, to be perfectly honest. Because again, in the time of recording, and it's, it's quite relatively straightforward. But we're going to go to Palace on Sunday. Difficult place to play. Um, but again, a game where after you do what you did, there's going to be obviously a lot of, it's not pressure, but expectation, I think, really, is probably the best word. Not for them to score nine again, but to put in another performance. And I can't see any reason why we can't go there and win. I can't see any reason why we can't score early and dominate the game against the Palace side, who I still think is a one-trick pony with Wilfred Zaha being their best player by a million miles. Keep him quiet. You can't win the game, really. They'll be buoyed by that performance against Arsenal. They're doing really well. Mentioned that they're sixth in the league, 15 points from the 10 games just behind Arsenal. But... You, you can see Leicester going there winning. You can see they're going there and, and maybe a performance uh, or maybe a result similar to away at Palace when we won the league. Uh, a, a difficult team to play against, but Leicester on a high, flying at the time, just as we are now. And we got that 1-0 win at the time with Riyad Mahrez. I can see it actually being a very, very similar kind of cagey game, but maybe a 1-0 result. Yeah, I don't think Palace are... Are as good as their position in the table would suggest. I think they'll tail off. I think they've had a decent start. They've actually found a way to score some goals, which was their biggest downfall last season. But there is there's no reason whatsoever why we can't go there and pick up a, another positive result. And and you've got to be realistic. I know um, you said quite at the right near the beginning of the podcast that you still get excited every time Leicester City win, and and I do, and I think most Leicester fans feel that and. And I think that's why what we're witnessing, what we witnessed a few years ago, and what we're witnessing now, is so special. Um, but taking it into context, if we went, and I'm not saying this is my prediction, or I'm not saying this is what Leicester should be aiming for, but if you come away from Sellers Park against a team that are six in the Premier League with a point, you say right, positive point on the road away at a team in the top six, and move on to the next game. Uh, I, I still think we'll go down and win, and I think that'll be 100% the intention and, and we've 100% got the ability, momentum, confidence to to go and put a couple past Palace. But let's not get too downheartened if we do only, and I put only in inverted commas, pick up a point because a point on the road against a team that have started well is a is a valuable point to, to put in the, in the bag and move on with. Uh, I would say something like a 2-1 Leicester would be fairly realistic. Well, there we go. A win away at Palace, fingers crossed, this Sunday. So next time that we gather for the pod, then uh, we'll be, what, 23 points in the league and into the quarterfinals of the uh, of the Carabao Cup. Fingers crossed. Hopefully that happens. Hopefully we get through. It'd be fantastic to get to a final in a cup competition. It'd be great to win a trophy. Um, Now, news, obviously, re- regarding Leicester. We all know it's, it's a year 
since what happened uh, against West Ham or uh, after the game against West Ham with uh, with Vishai and the helicopter, we're not going to go into really detail about that because everybody knows. Uh, but they've opened that garden. Um, hopefully, fingers crossed, I'm going to go tomorrow. Um, I've got a free day tomorrow and I'm uh, thinking I'm going to drive over there and, and have a look, see what's what. Um, it looks really good because when they mention this when they mention oh, there's going to be a you know a memorial garden etc you think it's going to be bits and bobs but it looks quite a big area that they've developed and it looks um it looks very interesting some of the uh the topiary with the uh, a fox and then you've got um a replica of his dog and then there's a there's the elephant obviously there's a there's a, a rearing up uh like a prancing horse as well with his polo and uh and, and king power racing um Obviously, which is what I'm, you know, quite interested in. He had a a win last uh, Saturday at uh, Champions Day, Don Juan Triumphant, uh, in a in a Group One. His first ever horse that he bought was Don Juan Triumphant, um, not being named anything to do with King Power. It was already named racehorse, and he it was the first that uh, that Vishai bought under King Power Racing, and it won a Group One on on. Uh, at Ascot on Champions Day, a, a very fitting win, really his uh, his first uh, Group One win, or King Powers. So that's going from strength to strength, and that that's what that horse represents. And we know they were they were really into the polo Vishai was, and 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 Top, uh, who was a really good player actually, Top. And uh, and there's been pictures when because I think um, Prince William and Harry and and, and etc. They've all played for for his team and etc. But uh, so there's all sorts down there on this. And there's 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 waterfalls. There's a there's a well. And there's all sorts of bits and bobs. So I'm going to go and have a look and, and see uh, what's what down at that garden. But uh, that was all on the Sunday. Um, and all quite well done because it wasn't overblown. It was all quite dignified. And and it, and, and it just went through without any kind of... There was a, a, a nice video put out by the football club. And um, and again, I put on Twitter about... Uh, there was loads of uh, journalists at different publications... Um, writing their own pieces and, and and i'll say again i put on twitter that go go and have a look at those uh go and dig them out it's, it's very easy to go and find if you go through all the publications all the major newspapers and then if you go to something like the athletic as well uh there was there was one or two um uh out of a k was an interesting one uh jonathan norcroft who i met down and spoke to uh immediately after the uh, uh the accident last year outside the King Power, he writes for the uh, the, the Mirror, and uh, he lives in Leicester as well, and uh, and yet and there was there's a lot Tanner, of course, for the the uh, the Athletic now he used to be with the Mercury, but there's each of the major journalists because they cover football so in depth, they they speak to all different people and they hear all sorts of different stories. Some will be repeated between them, but they'll all have their own take on what happened and also the years since. And uh, and I've read quite a few of them, and they are really good pieces. So go and take a look. Um, that's my advice, and, and and find those those big articles written about not only uh Shai, but also about how the football club responded, how football in general, but also uh, how the supporters have, and how the team has developed. And because if you look at the side that we had then with Claude in charge and the way that we're playing, etc. And oh, we're going up, down, this, that, and the other. Are oh, we just levelling off mid-table? And now, with the way that we're playing, and I know the incident was bigger than football itself, but it is a real change after a year. Um, 
a year since, when you look at just the football side, it is completely different with the new manager, with the the team that we have now, and, and, and with also the, the, the chairman with top in charge really putting his own stamp on by getting Rogers and, and by by backing him and by also being very much like his dad when it came to uh, getting the big money from Manchester United for Harry Maguire. So uh, some very interesting pieces to read. I don't know whether you've read any, Rob. Yeah, and I think the key word you've said is dignified. It, everything that's been done around this mirrors everything that was done around the incident a year ago. Um, and it was something that we tried to mirror on the podcast, really, was to not to not um, sort of blow any like so just not do anything too over the top you know just to sort of really deal with things in 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 a respectful and and calm way almost and i think that that the garden that's been created the memorial space reflects that um it's somewhere that i think a lot of leicester city fans will visit not just around now because it's been a year since the incident but for for many years to come and um, because we saw when it happened the the outpouring of of grief because of what what he meant to the club and what the club means to the fans and he'd sort of knitted all of that together for the first time in a long time a lot of Leicester fans would feel so it's nice for Leicester fans to have somewhere to to go to remember him um and I'd be interested actually um Pete, to hear from you on the, on the next podcast as to what it's like there, because obviously I've seen the video and the pictures, and you know the Leicester players went there over the weekend. Um, but I would imagine that seeing it for yourself and and sort of experiencing it for yourself will be an entirely different um, sort of proposition. And I, I will get down there at some point in the next time I'm back, hopefully. But I'd be interested to hear what what you've got to to talk about when you when you come away from it on the next podcast because i think pictures and and articles will do a certain amount of justice but i think being there will be a, a, a different thing altogether yeah and, and and also when you do go down there i'd imagine that uh, a lot of it will be based on the the possibilities for the future because the area surrounding the um the garden in the plans that we've seen for the last six months or so and understandably have been put on the back burner for a while the the, the club's going to redevelop the area so this will this is the first part of a, a wider regeneration of the area so uh, this will be a, a focal point and again I, I put on social media then you know for years and generations to come where we're meeting down at Leicester well we'll meet by Vishai's Elephant or Vishai's Fox or or Vishai's Bench, Well, Waterfall, etc. That's going to be what people from years to come are going to say. We're going to meet by so and that that's that's going to be the thing. And then when they're there, in in decades to come, when you're in that facility, even if it's to meet up with friends before going to the game, or even just if you're in the area and you're finding a place to meet someone or whatever, then you're not gonna not think of of obviously what happened, but also about Vishai, but also you're going to then look around you and the redeveloped area, it's all down to him. Everything from now on is down to him, King Power and the owners and 
ultimately top as well. So uh, so yes, it's going to be um, it's going to be interesting. To see. It's going to be interesting just to find out what they've done. Really, okay, there's everything surrounding it, but just to see what's happened and uh, and, and and go from there. I think it's going to be a nice day as well, which uh, which will be nice. But anyway, that's uh, for the next uh, episode. But we have to finish on a on a on a on a bit of a low level, really, because we've got to talk about the fancy football. Now then, Rob, um, I mentioned beforehand about not having, uh, you know, having that kind of uh, complex about Leicester in the Premier League, and still, whenever they win a game, I'm kind of, uh, I've, I've still got that. Yes, we've not kind of embarrassed ourselves, or you know, we, we we've not lost twenty on the bounce or whatever. You know, we, we've not made a fool of ourselves. And um, when it comes to fancy football, I'm a little bit like that with Leicester. Now, I have been known in the past, Rob. Uh, to have a bet or two, okay. Um, now, I do not bet on Leicester City. I never really have. I've had the odd one or two when I'm at the game, or you know, in terms of kind of a, a goal scorer bet, a top goal scorer, that sort of thing. But when it comes to in an accumulator or or just general, I do not include Leicester because. Again, they're my side, and there's kind of too much involved in them just winning or doing well. That's it's just always been that way. It's a bit weird, but there we go. Now I'm trying to explain myself here because I do not have any apart. I have one Leicester player in my dream team side, and that's Soyuncu. I was going to put Vardy in, but I was going to wait until um, after. Oh, just sorry, just before the Arsenal game, actually, because we have a great run of fixtures after that, and the I wanted to put loads of Man City players in for last week, and so I have absolutely, well and truly missed the boat when it comes to the boatload of points that everyone else got. To round it all off, my captain last week was Sergio Aguero, who was on the bench. Um, all in all, I've had an absolute shocker. There's nowhere else to put it an absolute shocker and i am down in 29th place okay now let's do the top 10 in 10th place uh remarkably it's mark perkins perko oh my god <laughs> loudmouth fc 89 points 575 overall Oh my god. <laughs> Steve Curtin uh, with FC Vladovic Barbers. Uh, 576 points. We've got 89 this week. Mm. Down into 8th is Scott Neal. Uh, 580 points. He's got 62 this week. Up into 7th it's Jonathan Towers with Vardy Party. Guess who he's got in his team. He's got 588 points. In 6th place. Staying in sixth place is the Vardy Annuals, Joe Healy, uh, 570 points, not 66 this week. Top five. In fifth place, we have Gav Brown with his Saigon Foxes, 607 points, 78 this week. In fourth place, some Sheffield clown called Rob Hayes with FFS, and he's on 623 points, Rob, 88 points this week. Captain Vardy, 44. Oh my god. Anyway, top three. Down into third place, 641 points is Daniel McCready 
with Rogers the Gavin Boy. And he got 81 points. Up into second, 643 points. So he's starting to pull clear. Is Matthew Archer, Pedro City. He got 97 points this week. And remaining at the top, Alex Ekonomu with Video Kill the Saudio. 665 points. So Rob, you are in fourth place on eighty-eight on the six hundred and twenty-three points. Now I am down in twenty-ninth, but I'm on five hundred and forty-two, so I'm less than a hundred points, only eighty odd points away from me. So it's still fairly, very, fairly tight here. Now if I just scroll through, there's one person I just want to pick out. Uh, Charlie Cranston. Help, oh, Charlie. Uh, Fish. I had a dream. Is your team? And you're in 20th place. You got 107 points. Oh, my God. What did you have? You Captain Vardy. Tillemans. You got Sterling. You got Madison as well. Your goalie kept a clean sheet. Oh, my oh dear. Points left, right and centre. I have had an absolute Adam Rickett. I'm doing exactly what Leicester City should be doing and knocking as loudly as I can on the door of the top four. I'm clinging on. You know... I don't know. I'm waiting for the bubble to burst with me because I've never, ever had a start like this to a fantasy Premier League season. I'm normally very much in mid-table mediocrity, not bothering anybody, get one player who scores a few points each week to make myself look a little bit more respectable. But everything I'm trying is coming off at the minute and it's it's... It's it's good for now. I just hope, like I hope with Leicester, that it can be maintained to the point where I'm actually being talked about in and around the top of the league come the business end of the season. But nice to see friend of the podcast, Mark Perkins, creeping into the top 10. And um, very entertaining to see you slide so spectacularly downhill. Although it is very congested in mid-table, I'll, I'll give you that. I did decide to scroll down from my lofty position earlier today just to see where... Uh, the movers and shakers were and there's not a lot between sort of 15 or 20 places down there so keep the faith Pete maybe make Frank Sinclair your captain and triple captain him next week and you'll be all right I still have my triple captain the one thing I will say though is that I got 51 points the average for the week and that's not just our league but overall in the whole game was 49 so actually I'm above average but the problem is in this league because everyone's loaded their team with Leicester players apart from me because my sister's above me oh my god she's in 25th place oh my god oh my <laughs> god what's happened here she's got six points oh my god anyway um so I'm actually above average for the entire game for this week but because obviously <laughs> Everyone's got loads of Leicester players in. I've just dropped like an absolute stone in my work league. I've actually gone up a place. How does that work out? Now, the highest got 138 points. Just think about that. My God. They've got Perez, Pulisic, also Vardy, captain. Anyway, my type got a chill well, 19 points. My word. Anyway, my time will come. So that's the fancy football. I've had an absolute mare. Oh, my God. Where's my dad? He doesn't know how to play it. Where is he? Oh, he's, he's, he's catching me up as well. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> that's the that's the fancy football. I hope everyone's had a good laugh with that because it is uh, it is really funny. God, my sister's above me. Oh, Scott Kerr. Oh my, it, this is even worse. Scott Kersey's in twenty eighth place. He's one place above me. He's, he's on the same points. He's a Burton fan. He's a Burton season ticket holder, and he's above me. Fingers crossed for tomorrow. We've got to win tomorrow. <laughs> 
We have to win tomorrow now. It's all that matters. Sod the league. We just have to beat Burton tomorrow because he's above me in the for Fox 8 fancy football. Anyway, that's it for the podcast before I go properly insane. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for getting in contact regarding the game on uh, on Friday. It was very, very entertaining. Now, again, just to reiterate, at Pod is our Twitter handle. Give us a follow if you're on there. Uh, we are on Facebook. Just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and then you can give us a like. And again, you can listen to the podcast on there. How do you listen to the podcast? Uh, I reckon uh, buy your mobile phone on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, as it used to be called. You can find us on there. We're also on SoundCloud as well. And you can find us there. Uh, I'm not yet got us on Spotify. I'm going to try and do that. Um, but the main way of listening is, again, via Apple iTunes uh, that's the best way of doing it, really. But uh, however you listen to the podcast, hope you enjoy it. Uh, any questions, get in contact with us via social media, or you can email us, which seems like old technology now. But uh, for fox8podcast at gmail.com is our email address, and hopefully uh, we will read that out next time. Any questions you want, and if you don't want to read them out, just ask us a question and we'll just answer it and, uh, and put it in there. Uh, so that's it for the podcast. Fingers crossed we're talking about two wins this time next week. And uh, as always, up the city.